0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
2: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you small-town dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com
1: And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. June is a special month because it's LGBTQ plus pride. So each week, our guest will be a member from the LGBTQ horror community and will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
0: This week, our guest is Sam Weinman. He's a filmmaker whose award-winning horror short, The Quiet Room, is currently playing on Shudder. He's also the director of the upcoming Shudder queer horror documentary. And we hear he sings a mean parody song. Welcome to the show, Sam.
3: Hello, friends. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank
1: you for taking the time out of your very busy editing schedule for for joining us. We really
3: do appreciate it. This is a treat. So I'm very excited.
0: <laughs> a little quarantine treat. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, Sam, how did you get into horror?
3: I got into horror. That's a good question. I feel like it's because I was, I was just super fascinated by the boxes, like at the video store. Uh, Yeah, We talked about this a
0: lot recently, actually. I feel like a lot of people have brought up, like looking at the boxes for horror movies in the video store and how that got them like obsessed with horror.
3: Yeah. The, the, the images were lurid and on the back, it just, it felt like it was, there was something taboo about it. And I think as somebody who always felt different, horror felt like a space where like I was drawn to this difference or this, this place where, I don't know. I wasn't supposed to be, Mm -hmm. but like I could.
1: (laughs) I, I, I know that feeling um, all too well, especially, you know, when you're growing up and you, you sometimes you don't know why, but there's like, as a queer person, there's sometimes that kind of difference and you don't quite understand it. And I always found comfort in horror as well because of that. Mm -hmm.
3: And I also think that there's something um, as a kid with horror that that it gives you superpowers, you know, it's like, Mm I was bad at sports. I never mm. fit in with like the guys. But if I could watch a scary movie and other kids had to go to bed or shut their eyes, that made me like powerful. Do you know? Oh, what yeah, you? Oh, I do. Yeah, 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 that's,
1: yeah. That's a that's an interesting uh, perspective on that. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I, I was the same way. I you know, never got into sports. Was never like the cool kid. I, I just was that kind of weird kid that was off by himself. And horror was like a escape for us uh for me for for sure
0: yeah same here i mean like that was again i was bad at everything like i was not good at sports i was an art nerd and i watched a lot of horror movies both like to comfort myself and to like again feel like i was really cool for being able to watch really scary and weird stuff and i also was like coming to grips with my sexuality too so i think horror was another really good place to like feel i don't know how to put it like but welcome i guess yeah it's not
3: like I feel like we all have this shared yeah. bond having never even met because of our passion for horror and where it comes from. It's that thing that just draws us to it, like, but yeah. it's also the thing that connects us. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with queer identity. Yes. yes, for sure. 100%. Do you remember how old you were when you saw your first horror movie or what your first horror movie was? Yeah. Well, my first horror movie officially was Leprechaun, and I think... <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's <a> good <laughs>
0: favorite i've ever heard for horror movies lover
3: <laughs> i wish it was cool i wish there was like no, some great horror movies really
0: like, cool i think that's the ma- that's amazing
3: <laughs> i was obsessed with it because it was like taped off of tv so i or taped off of like hbo or showtime or something and i was <laughs> i i don't know how old i, I think i was in like 3rd grade 3rd or 4th grade and um and so it was like i was young but Before that, I used I was already staying up late on the weekends and sneaking downstairs to watch Tales from the Crypt. Oh yes, Ah, so I was I was like really weaselled in with that. Although my very first movie was probably Child's Play, even though I didn't see it. Like I had one of the neighborhood kids who was older, just like talk me through it. That that's that's been like a a refrain that i've
1: i've heard a lot on the show too where people are like or even on on twitter when we're asking about this move different movies that have scared them and people are like i you know i i never saw it but people would talk me through it and it would terrify me and uh i i remember that we 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 talked with uh joshua tonks uh and he was talking about screaming the first time people were talking about it and talking through the the actions of it and it just kind of you know it's scary i know that this is your podcast
3: but what were your first <laughs>
1: <laughs> my my first horror probably was actually Abbott and costello meet frankenstein that's fun very mellow but like uh my, my my dad was a big uh universal studios horror monster nerd and so that's kind of how i got into it i think my first like real real horror movie was probably jaws i can't really remember it was like one of those times where it was either i think it was i think it was jaws
0: mine was jaws yeah <laughs> yeah that one fucked me up yeah <laughs> But that was the first one I think I remember seeing. I also have a really vague, really vivid memory of watching Poltergeist for the first time and just like, nope, that movie ruined my life. And now I have a t-shirt with my favorite woman Zelda Rubenstein on the front because Hell yeah. She's a queen. But she is
3: she's always. A queen. And also Poltergeist holds the fuck up. You guys got It
0: really does I- hold the fuck up. Like it's fucking scary.
3: <laughs> it's scary and it's emotional. Yes. You know, and that's whatever I what I always forget before I watch it is just how how much it's gonna work its way into like my soul by the end of it.
0: Yes. I had totally forgotten about that when I rewatched it uh was it last year, Terry, for an episode. But Yeah, it was our very forgo- first episode. That's right. And I I just totally forgot that it was actually like a very like affecting horror movie.
3: You know, I think that who I am and the kind of horror that I like was ultimately shaped by my access to it. Like Leprechaun, oh. come on. <laughs> So obviously now I love trash. <laughs> <laughs> uh that was Jennifer Aniston's first role, wasn't it? Or oh, yeah. one of her first?
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I forgot, I always forget that amazing piece of trivia. That was <laughs> Jennifer Aniston's first movie. <laughs>
1: how how did you get into filmmaking? Is it something you always wanted to do? Or how uh how did you
3: decide to pursue that career? You know, it wasn't something I always wanted to do. And I feel like every director that I meet is like I knew when I was five years old and I held a camera in my hand for the first time and you know I didn't grow up in a background um, in a very affluent background and I didn't have um, access to I think I I never felt like I could dream bigger if that Mm. makes sense like I just I knew what I was good at I knew I was a good writer. Uh, I love doing that and I'm like someday maybe I'll be a writer and that was like kind of my pipe dream but on the side I like I worked at a bookstore I worked at a video store I worked at like when I was at Borders I was in like the media section so I was always doing stuff into the films and I would do these things every Friday night these movie nights where we would watch two movies uh two horror movies within a you know a double feature and I would theme them and uh and Horror just became this huge part of my life. I still do those movie nights. I even do them online, you know, now because yeah. we're in quarantine. Right. But in, in building that community around film, that's like where I found my people really. And so I, I, I didn't, uh, I just, I, I loved horror to the point where I was like dissecting it and, mm-hmm. and like I just knew what I wanted to see that I wasn't seeing. Yeah. And that's what actually inspired me to, to go to film school really i mean i in undergrad i taught a class in the horror film because at the school i went to you could like get a class approved if you wrote out the syllabus so i taught that's
0: so cool right oh my god i wish everybody did that (laughs) i know i
3: taught the history of the the slasher film
0: i took a I took a horror film class in college but it wasn't taught by a student but
3: that shit was the
0: best but anyway sorry i didn't mean to interrupt
3: no 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 what was like the weirdest thing that or what were you the most surprised to learn in your horror film class
0: So actually, the horror film class was where I learned about the new French extremity, which I'm like super into, like revenge is like my entire life. So I was, because we watched inside and, um, high tension. Mm. And it was like my entire brain was just like exploded and (laughs) started watching (laughs) horrific French gory horror movies. And now I'm obsessed with them. So (laughs) that was probably the weirdest thing I learned.
3: Oh, I had forgotten how brutal high tension was until I recently saw it was pulling clips for the doc. I was like, Jesus! And I've right? seen it before, but it's like you forget. It's yeah, it um, is.
0: Especially at the beginning with like the family. Ugh, like it is fucking brutal. <laughs>
3: But I kind of parlayed that interest in horror, like, because when I was teaching that class, something I discovered is I couldn't help but teach it through like a queer lens. I just yeah. kept looking for all of like the coded that I was always con- like contextualizing it within whatever was happening at the history at the time. Yeah. So, you know, if we were talking about Michael Myers and Urban sprawl, or we were talking about um the way AIDS impacted horror films. Mm. Uh, those were all topics that week after week I had structured the class around. So by the end of it, I was like it was I was graduating that year or or shortly after and uh it was something i knew i was interested in and i i i was just like this is i have no experience i i had written like a music a zombie musical so that was like the only horror thing that, that we put on at the school and i was like uh, uh
0: amazing i guess
3: i'll like uh go try film school and i applied as a director and i just like really talked myself up and i made this like <laughs> film school or i made this project on um kickstarter where i because i went through a breakup and so like out of revenge i went um on a road trip where i went on to 12 cities in 12 days and tried to find a date in each one of them
4: oh my god oh, wow
3: Hi. and i made it into like a docu-series
4: holy <laughs> and was shit, like, shit.
3: was like shit if i and i put it online and i was like wow if i can do this I could direct. So I used that to apply to film school. And that was my beginning. So that's how I got into directing. Horror is something I've always loved. But of course, naturally when I got to film school and it was like I was like, I'm gonna use every second of this experience to learn how to make horror.
0: Hell yeah. That's, that's amazing. Awesome.
1: Um, I, I know when we talked with uh um a couple directors in the past, they said that when they when they were in film school that they got pushback from their directors because they were interested in horror.
3: Is that was that yeah. an issue with you or? You know, I always wonder if I got pushed back because it was horror, or I got pushed back because of my personality. Because I definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I was not very well liked by the administration. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, damn the man! I, I well, you know, I'm. If I see something that isn't working, I like to try and provide a solution. You know, and sometimes, and, and in our year. You know, I, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have women on our thesis committee. We didn't have, it just was a, I kind of, I kind of helped gather people and really fight for, you know, the, against the system that was, uh, that was not intersectional.
4: Mm-hmm. Wow.
3: <laughs> so by the time my film came out, which was a thesis, so The Quiet Room was actually my thesis film.
0: Oh, shit. Really? Oh, wow.
3: Yeah. Oh,
0: well, that's a damn good thesis from Oh, thank you <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's actually a good a good uh transition to that because i the, the the quiet room is is so it was so good um i re i rewatched it this week because it's on shutter and it's i i i i absolutely love it i love i i It was one of those things where like i was writing notes down about it and every single time i was watching it i was like oh lisa wilcox is in this oh alaska thunderfuck is in this <laughs> you know it's like how did you get this in this incredible cast uh for it, it, i guess even because it's a thesis film how did you get this incredible cast
3: yeah because nobody wants to be like hey will you be in my student film <laughs> 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 the answer is never. Yes. Um, it, I uh, what happened was I, I worked really hard on this story. I knew pretty early on in film school that I was going to write this story, but I knew that I wanted to do it well. So I used every exercise leading up to practice a different scare or a different theme. So I didn't make the quiet room again and again, but I really, I knew that once I wanted to approach that material, I was going to do it right. And with a plan. And so I made sure that as a filmmaker, I was ready. So it gave me some time to really work through the script and be realistic about what we could do. But also, I aimed high, you know, and I sent the Mm -hmm. script and I took chances. I, I just, I don't know. I didn't have any sort of like, I didn't have anybody there to guide me. So I just, I just made a wish list. You know, like I wrote Hattie for Alaska, but I didn't in my wildest dreams think that it would actually happen. You know, <laughs> I'm so glad it did though because uh, yes, <laughs>
1: I you know her her voice is iconic. <laughs> Michael, do you know where you are? Yes, and I I just and and we, Mary Beth and I were like chatting um a little bit off offline about how like you, uh, you incorporated because like I remember her her giant nails and that oh, that was kind of incorporated yes. in, the, in the monster and it was. It's, it's so well done.
0: I also didn't recognize her at first as Alaska. Yes. <laughs> I did not realize that was Alaska. I was like, oh, hold on. That is someone I know.
3: <laughs> well, you know, something I love about John Waters' films is we always got Divine, a drag queen, playing whatever character that was. Yeah, And mm-hmm. so there, are, when you have a drag queen playing a character, you have multiple layers to what that character is. Because yeah. that's not just Hattie. That's Alaska playing Hattie. Right. You know, and and I think so that cool. you can hear it in in her voice. You know, we we went back and recorded, or we recorded a lot of uh, parts where a lot, uh, where Hattie's only visible in the sound design. You know, she appears, but we don't yeah. see her. And when Alaska does something like. you know with her mouth you hear even in that it's alaska (laughs) it is the (laughs) first time
1: i heard it i was like oh my god that is fucking alaska
3: (laughs) yeah you know we had a moment when we were recording some of that audio um and we were doing different voices and um and alaska even asked do you want me to do alaska (laughs) (laughs) yes let's you know and and it's a lot it's hattie at or alaska as hattie you know and and what a cool way to do that and that's something that um, yeah that is so cool you know as far as as far as the how, uh, you know, I remember when, when I reached out to Lisa Wilcox, she had said, Hey, I don't say yes to a lot of projects like this, but I really love the script. And I, and to mm. me, mental health is something that's really important. So when I led, you know, when I did reach out to people about it, I, I, I was really upfront. Like, this is what's important to me about this. This, I haven't seen anything like this. And, yeah. um, and this is what about that story is personal. And, and I was able to, you know, get, what I needed, which is great.
0: Yeah. And that actually um leads me to I want to ask you, like, why this story? Like, what like, – you kind of already started talking about how mental health is important to you, but can you just talk a little bit more about inspiration for this story and why you wanted to write it the way you did?
3: Yeah. Like, like many queer people, I had – I struggled with depression growing yeah. up. And um when I was 18, I tried to kill myself. And mm. I – Knew coming out the other side that I did, I had to make some very big life changes and I had to do them on my own and one of those changes was uh, you know seeking the the mental health care that I needed I mean really really working on myself and uh, and getting to a place where I could be a a stronger person you know and I had a lot of experiences within that that system and getting to where I am now that you know we we have a long way to go to make sure that, you know, both by breaking stigma, but also by having a system that supports people. And, and I, and I wanted to make a film about that. So when I got to film school and everybody was like making their life story and, uh, you know, I was like, well, how would Sam Weinman do it? <laughs> well, you make <laughs> depression a monster, you know? And, yeah. uh, and that's it. I cast it's maybe to me, truly the quiet room is autobiography. I, that's my story. Um, wow. but I just, uh, you know, It stars a drag queen, (laughs) right? Wow. So when I got to, that's why I had so much trouble. Actually, I I had, um, you know, when I got to, I got accepted into a program that a lot of people, you know, it's a competitive program. Mm
0: -hmm. And I remember,
3: uh, about after the first year, uh, somebody there asked me, brought me into his office and he's like, what are you, what's your idea for thesis? And I told him, I described the quiet room and he said, wow, I am really disappointed in you. And and my heart just sunk. And he was like, when I brought you to the school, I thought you were going to tell real stories. What? Oh. uh, And I looked at him and I said, this is a real story. It's mine. You know, and and from that moment on, it might've been the best thing he could have done for me because I doubled down on the way that I tell stories. Nobody could tell my story the way that I did. And so that's why it worked. (laughs) sometimes i I would never advocate for you know the people that oppress us because i think that sometimes they use that like it's necessary to to make good art thing i don't think that's true but i will tell you a little rebellion never hurt any art (laughs) hell yeah that's that's very true um I you know the the
1: thing that that it stuck out to me this time especially with Lisa Wilcox in it and I I know she wasn't in this one but it gave me vibes of like Nightmare on Elm Street three, um you know with like the the kids stuck in in a in a mental health place where like there there's obviously uh, someone supernatural stalking them and people not believing it, um and then I, Lisa Wilcox is my favorite final girl. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Terry, Her. yes. <laughs> She's wonderful. She is so good in the Dream Master. And that is my favorite of the sequels. I just I I so just identify with, with her character that entire movie. And so when she was on screen on screen, I was just like, I was so enamored. I was so happy that she's back in the short film. I was so happy.
3: I love her in Elm Street. That moment, the fact that something that I always hear about, uh, and I don't know who said this to me first, but it's that we always talk about Nightmare on Elm Street two as being the queer one, but actually it's four because of her superpower, which is essentially she gains all of the powers of everybody else. She can change who she is. She can change. She takes on every every gender to become a little bit of everybody. And I think that's such an interesting perspective—the transformation we watch her go through, and the authenticity she ultimately reaches—I, I fucking love it. I'm such a Lisa Wilcox fan.
1: Yeah, I am too. And and let me tell you, I, as as a little questioning gay boy watching that movie, I was—that was like you know I was so quiet and I was so reserved. Seeing her come out of her shell, owning her sexuality, owning her power, owning like her personality. It, it's such a it's such a queer story. Ugh, yeah, I just love her.
3: <laughs> and also, she's so incredibly talented. Yeah, I I will I will be a Lisa Wilcox fan until the day I die.
1: Hell yeah, same. The other person I'm going to be a fan of though is I was surprised that to see uh Katya, aka Brian McCook, out <laughs> of drag in that because let me tell you, she is my favorite drag queen
3: and she's, <laughs> she's someone that I love. She's mine too. She's mine
1: too. I'd love to chat with. I just, I love Katya so
3: much. I love Katya. We were beyond, I mean, I was obviously thrilled (laughs) that that worked out. Yeah. 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 So having, um, you know, at the time when we filmed The Quiet Room, I mean, we were what, barely a year out of All Stars 2? So, you know. Oh, yeah. What's funny about being on set is, you know, you never get starstruck because you're working with everybody and you just have too much to get done. But I did have a moment when I was sitting in, like, backstage and it was like, oh, I'm here with Alaskan Katia right after All Stars Two and I'm a huge fan and I just like didn't let myself indulge. But there is another part of me as just like a queer dude who's a huge drag race fan. that's like, fuck yes. <laughs> Will it ever get better than this? <laughs> you know, have I peaked in twenty seventeen? Like is this it for me? You know, and uh, and it was and that's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Sam Weinman's downfall <laughs> Um,
1: <laughs> uh, but but going from the, the quiet room, so you are working currently editing, I believe, the Shutter Queer Horror documentary.
3: Yes, sir, we are in edits.
1: How's that going?
3: It's going great. Um, Good. It's been a really interesting process because everything else that I've ever worked on up until this point has just been, um, it's been exactly. I don't have anybody to weigh in on, but now I'm working with you know a production company who work who and and shutter and we're it's there's a big team involved you know and so um and my my crew is all queer I mean everybody I work almost everybody I work with like when when you go to set with me it's an all it's it's an all queer and all female crew or not all female but it's that's kind of your ticket it's one or the other or both. yeah and it's just because those are the, the those are the kind of sets i want to be on and so why not make the set i want so having to, to go from only working with queer people to then turning around and being like hey how do i make something that is for a mainstream you know it's going through the the process that everybody else does that that straight art goes through you know and it's mm-hmm. been a really i've learned a lot and i think so of. um so is everybody else along the way it's been like a really cool uh, cool learning experience i guess
1: cool how d- how did it all come together um how did you get involved um because i it from from an outsider perspective it seems like it kind of started coming together after the horror
3: noir was such a big hit is that is that true or has this been percolating for a while you know it came together a little bit before horror noir was out um i i met phil uh one of our producers on the set of satanic panic when I was there, um, Mm. assisting Chelsea and, um, and I got to, I got the pleasure of shooting second unit for her. And, uh, and I got to know Phil and the, and through the Fango team. So, you know, our relationship began then, and we were, we had talked a little bit about queer horror. And one day he, um, he, you know, introduced me to the other producer and we, we got, Lunch, And they were like, how much do you know about queer horror? And I was like, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I gave them a breakdown, you know, and that's kind of where it that's kind of where it started, where it was like, I think that they were there were there was already interest in that as a film. And I think then, you know, we met and we went from there.
1: That's cool. that's wow. I you know, it's it's funny because you you I, I know that I knew that you were um involved with uh satanic panic and we talked with with uh Chelsea and she's such a wonderful human. The best. She really yeah. is.
0: She's the sweetest.
1: And it seems like um that seems to be a common refrain whenever we I mean we talked to Andy and when he found out that Sean did the music for our podcast, he's like, Oh, Sean. So it's <laughs> like they just seem like the most wonderful people.
3: I feel very fortunate to have Chelsea in my life, not just as a friend, but as a mentor. I I think that, you know, a lot of times this industry is so competitive that Mm -hmm. it's like, there are so many things that you can't learn in film school. And Mm -hmm. I get to learn those from friends like Chelsea who take the time to teach me, you know? And, uh, and, and I think that that, uh, it goes a long way. And I, uh, and I try and do the same as far as paying it forward because of the example that she set for me, I, I like She's my friend and I also worship the ground she walks on. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) how can you not though?
3: (laughs) I know. I know. And also what a bad bitch. Like being on set with her, Chelsea can handle any amount of stress and pressure and still be the same person that you talk to. And like when she's on set, she can, she just has this, I don't know, this bullshit shield. She's so good. So I, I want all of the jobs for her. I want everything from here on out to be directed by Chelsea. Like,
0: we yeah. need more.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> uh, so, Terry, um, do you want to talk about what you have been watching recently? Sure.
3: Was it what? my MySpace channel?
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, let's, let's briefly talk about it. A... I forgot about the MySpace channel.
3: <laughs> I didn't. Uh... Wow. I... <laughs> I fucking saw that tweet and called my therapist. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh I, I
1: I noticed when we went searching for it that uh, your my the MySpace page is still there, but none of the music is working.
3: Well, now let me tell you about this though. That's not my fault. That was it wasn't like mysteriously disabled by me. It was actually MySpace had some sort of like quote like accidental dump of their servers. I think about a year or two ago, and what happened is all of the songs and videos are gone. And oh, and then all the views that are on it, it, it'll say like 28 views or something, even though it had like hundreds of thousands, you know? So it's like the whole thing is just erased. It is no more. But yeah, at the time yeah. I was, uh I guess I should have said that when you asked me about my past. I mean, I guess that's how I got into <laughs> film. Here's the thing though. I, I just always have been doing these things that I love because like I said, you don't think you're, I don't know. I, I just, I just didn't, dream as big as maybe i should have because i underestimated underestimated myself which i think a lot of queer people do
0: yes you know
3: yeah
1: i was uh i was recently listening to um one of the podcasts i really like is a uh, food food for thought um it's i think it's it's like four um queer dudes that uh of different nationality or not nationalities but races coming together and talking about a subject and they were talking about how um, as queer people that we sometimes will not dream as big as like a, a straight person would because we don't feel that we're, we deserve it because of, um, you know, historical type stuff pressures that, that build on us. And I, it was something that like, I, I think they said something about like, you know, approach everything like you're a straight white man. <laughs> cause like
3: <laughs> it's, it, cause it, it's true. Wow. To a, to a degree. I, Terry, I relate to that so much, you know, to share with you, I, by the way, literally never talk about this. So it's like, when you tweeted that, I was like, Oh, I am out of the closet. Okay. But I, that's, I guess that's the part, you know, it's easier to talk about film school and a journey into film than saying like, I, when I think about it, really, it started with making these MySpace videos. And it was because I was tired of the climate of the, the, mid two thousands that was so fucking homophobic that queer mm-hmm. people just couldn't exist in media so in 2000 like what i started doing like it was 2005 i think i started in 2006 but i like as a joke started i I can't play instruments and i can't sing like listen i mean i played the saxophone in third (laughs) grade that doesn't count oh my god i played sax. did you oh wait no i knew that because i listened to your um episode with andy my composer slash music collaborator (laughs) slash friend and you said saxophone and i like wanted to scream actually i may have (laughs) <laughs> um, and uh, the only reason I played saxophone Was because I, I wasn't allowed to play flute Because my dad said that would make me gay And I um,
0: don't uh-huh. uh-huh. know how that
3: turned out <laughs> but, Yeah, I, I so I had like a very limited musical background So I would make these improv songs Where I would sing about like people at work, guys that broke my heart, uh fucking celebrities, who know and and it weirdly took off on quote myspace radio, whatever that was at the time, which was like <laughs> a precursor to everything there wasn't like there wasn't really YouTube when that was happening, and so then they right. upgraded it to myspace t v and it was a new thing, and so I had written a song for my best friend about leaving voicemails on each other like back and forth, so the whole song is different voicemails I left her and they selected it as their like featured thing. And and back in the day, children, you would have to like log <laughs> in every day to your account and at your login screen, you would see one or two videos that were featured. Yes, and so before there was the viral video, you had that video. And yep. so that way, uh, every time it was featured, it would just get like, it would be this insane kind of like influx of people. And so two things happened. One of them is magical and one of them is less so. <laughs> there was so much homophobia because I was out and people weren't used to seeing queer creators mm. that they actually had to, I was like, I think it was the first person they ever had to disable the comments on manually because the comments oh, wow. were like, die, faggot, all this stuff, you know, whatever. But a second very magical thing happened, which was um, I started getting all these emails from like other queer youth from like all over the country and even older people everybody i mean just people i'd never talked to i didn't really even have queer friends then i didn't know how to find people and all this and and i hadn't even thought like oh I'm, i'm making this like you know i just thought i was singing some joke songs i wasn't trying to like start a revolution or anything although i wouldn't be opposed um but it was you know it was like just to see ourselves in a public unapologetic way to see somebody singing about a song called are you gay trying to figure out if somebody's gay you know like to sing about i I had a song called dino dick you know which was just all jurassic park (laughs) metaphors and it was about you know obviously jurassic park so it's like big dicks. Uh, it, it just was like, um, <laughs> it was just an experience of being out in a way that was so public. I could never undo it. And it forced me to be myself in a bigger, more real way <laughs> than I think I yeah. ever would have otherwise. So I'm so grateful for it, but knowing, uh, taking what I learned in that and applying it to what I'm doing now is honestly, truly probably what I'm doing with this documentary. Cause wow. it's like, Hey, here's the visibility and I'm going to be myself. Because I can't really, I can't speak for anybody but me and my perspective, but I can definitely like open the door and try and bring as many other people as I can. And that's what it feels like every day when I look at these edits. So fingers crossed it works out, you know?
0: Hell yeah, that's so exciting.
1: I am really excited for it to come out eventually.
3: I really can't wait. Thanks for that tangent. <laughs> wow.
0: Uh, <of> <laughs> Sorry about
1: that. <laughs> I just, that uh, I think I got so boxy you know,
3: for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I... You
1: know, I was thinking about yeah, how you said that, uh, you know, you weren't allowed to play the flute. Um, it, when I was a little kid and I was watching horror movies, my parents had the, uh, the rule that I had to close my eyes whenever there were uh, boobs on screen.
4: Like, well, <laughs> all right <laughs>
1: wow yes yeah so i i got away with watching a lot of r-rated movies as long as i covered my eyes and i had no problem doing that
3: yeah don't have to ask me twice
1: right <laughs> oh jeez. wow <laughs> wow but yeah so movies we've been watching recently though so one of the things that um I've been watching and it's not out yet but I've been watching Love Victor
0: what is which is
1: that? um it is a Hulu show that's coming out um June 19th <gasps> and it's it's kind of sort of a sequel inspired by Love Simon and uh the novel Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda. I is it good? I'm it so is. excited about it. Um I've I've only watched uh the first 3 episodes oh my so far. gosh terry it's a lot different than, than the movie. And in fact, one of the things that I really loved about it, cause, uh, the, the main character, his name is Victor Salazar and he is played by Michael Semino, who was in, uh, Annabelle Comes Home. He was the cute boy <gasps> that our lead had a crush on.
3: Yeah. So did I. That's a great, me
1: too. He's, he's adorable. <laughs> so he, he's in it. He's Victor. And the very first thing that he's doing is he is, uh, private messaging, um, Simon, who is now living in, in New York, and he's he says, screw you for having the perfect family, the perfect friends, the perfect kiss, and the perfect situation. It's not that easy for the rest of us. So tea. it is it is sort of like, it immediately addresses that backlash. Yes, exactly. It addresses the backlash of the fact that it, that the cast was, that the family was so, it was very white. I mean, other than, you know, the, the one character is very white. It's, it was very perfect. And this is, um, a character that comes from, he just moved from Texas with his family. His, his dad is very like the kind of macho, um, man that's like, He's, he's a maintenance guy, like it, it's a very different kind of perspective, and he just has moved to this to the same school and he is trying to figure out his feelings because he really likes this guy that he sees, but then he also likes this girl, and so he's trying to figure out his sexuality at the same time as dealing with some of the stuff that happened in in, in the movie and one of the, my favorite things is that Miss Albright, the drama teacher, she's in it, and she's a vice principal now. Um <laughs> And and the guy uh, Nick Robinson that that played Simon, he does the voiceover um, as as Victor is communicating back and forth
3: with him. Okay, so there is connection.
1: Yes, it is definitely connected. Same actors. Um, that were in that are kind of crossing over to this. I have a feeling that we might see Nick Robinson at some point, but it is definitely from a different perspective. And I, I think it's going to be really good. I've only seen the first three episodes, um, but it's all dropping on the 19th of June. So wow! I really recommend it. Cannot wait for that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And then um, I'm also trying to get through my backlog of movies that um, I'm a collector and I buy. So I watched Pale Blood.
0: Oh, yes. How was it? Uh... Kind Good. Awesome. Good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really <laughs> inspiring confidence. Of the, uh...
1: So that that movie, it's about a vampire. Like, here's the synopsis. A vampire arrives in Los Angeles to investigate a recent series of murders which bear the hallmarks of vampire attacks. He wants to track down the murderer because he is a vampire that doesn't believe in killing people. Um, he just believes in taking as much blood as he is. He needs to survive and letting them live and someone is killing people as a vampire would and there meanwhile there's this erotic film director slash photographer that's capturing the the crime scenes and they sort of like cross paths wings hauser plays the uh erotic film director which is weird because it's the second movie in two weeks that um i've seen wing hauser yeah, in. and weird. he looks just like elric Kane,
0: <laughs> amazing uh, from
1: shockwaves um it's a uh, it, you know, it, it build itself as an erotic vampire thriller, and well, there was sold. nothing erotic <laughs> about it. Well, that's lame. Yeah. Except that at one point the va- the the vampire who's played by George Chakiris is that Ch- he was in um West Side Story. Oh, I, Ch- I don't Chakiris. Uh, I I don't, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He bites them on their breast. Um, that's about oh. as
3: as erotic as it as it gets. But hmm. um
1: it was a movie i definitely watched
3: um (laughs) there's something so queer about the vampire who hates being a vampire or hates like uh, like other vampires favorite fucking movie of
0: all time and that's why i'm bisexual um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i love vampires and i love moody vampires who are really sad that's why i really like daybreakers
3: are you a dracula's daughter fan
0: I actually haven't seen Dracula's Daughter. Girl, you are gonna love it. Yes, I have heard very good things about it, <laughs> so I really, yeah.
3: I just need like a thirty-minute edit of it, though, so we can skip all the police stuff. I don't need yeah. the dudes. <laughs> just give me Dracula's Daughter serving looks. That's all. Hell yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's me. What about you, Mary Beth?
0: Um, so I've been watching a lot, but the things I wanted to really talk about was I watched Scanners for the first time um, and oh. absolutely obsessed with it. I don't know why I have become so enamored with this movie, but it was so good. I am so sad. And, like, I hadn't really thought about it. Like, I love Cronenberg, but I guess I didn't really like connect Scanners and Cronenberg at first. It so is very different than his usual stuff, but Michael Ironside is amazing in it. And the the set design is absolutely gorgeous it's just like sci-fi but not really sci-fi i don't know it's just like absolutely beautiful i'm obsessed with it now and then i actually am playing outlast on my nintendo switch
3: (gasps) are there as many head explosions in that as scanners (laughs) um i guess
0: no i don't think there's head explosions there's a lot of guts though
3: okay (laughs)
0: Um, so I'm playing that for the first time, and I. It's, oh, you've never played it before. I have so watched a lot of playthroughs online, okay. but I've never played it before. But like for this personal project we're doing about found footage that involves video games, I was like, I should play the game actually to like understand it. And it's scary shit. It um, is scary
3: shit. <laughs> this is. I heard in your Andy episode you talked about found footage, and this is, or I think it like came up for a second.
0: Are oh, you, it comes do, up all the time. Do you
3: love? <laughs> Because I love found footage. And when I heard that, I was like, please tangent on this forever. So that's.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Outlast is basically like a found footage video game. It's really interesting. So are you familiar with it at all, Sam? No. Okay. So you're playing as a journalist who is going to investigate allegations of really bad shit happening at a mental institution and it's like really it's awful and you go in and you're armed with a, you can you don't have any weapons so you're armed with just like your video camera your night the, the night vision camera batteries and you have to just run from everything so you're basically like you literally have a mechanic where you lift up the camera to film and if you film something it adds to your logs like you have to make the movie so like you're finding oh, wow. footage as you're playing and like you, you view a lot of the world through the screen of the camera not just through like the actual screen of the um tv or for the the switch you actually like putting up have the actual act of putting up the camera and seeing everything through the lens of the camera especially in night vision so it's really fucking cool
3: so you have no resources and you have to make a movie that sounds just like all of my experiences in la yeah <laughs> <laughs> Are there are there crazy naked men though? Because that's the that's so the other one, thing. And this there one's is.
0: like also so gruesome. There's so many dead people, and it's and like horrific creatures, and it's so scary. And it's but it's really good. It's really really good. So it's kind of cool to play that because I've been watching so much found footage. So it's kind of cool to get to play and change how I'm like interacting with the space like that. Um, and then okay, I'll talk about found footage now because I did watch a good one. Another good one. <laughs> it's called Butterfly Kisses.
1: I I saw you tweeting about this one.
0: Yes. So it takes place in Maryland where I live, so it's really weird. And it's, like, where my friends live, like, in a town that I'm familiar with. So that was really – that, like, made it even weirder because I was like, that is 20 minutes from my apartment, and, like, I go there all the time. So that was weird. But it's basically, like, a movie within a movie. So a guy finds footage, ha, 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 and he's a filmmaker, (laughs) and he's trying to make a movie about this movie where a – um, film student is making a documentary about the Peeping Tom or Mr. Blink, which is a Maryland urban legend. Where you, st- if you stare down this tunnel for an hour without blinking, he appears to you, and every time you blink, he gets closer and closer. And that's this so is a good. fucked up part. This is a fucked up part. When he gets close, when he gets close enough to you and you try not to blink, his eyelashes are so long that it tickles your face and tries to make you blink. And that's <gasps> why it's wait, like butterfly kisses. This mean... <sighs> <laughs> is. Fucked up.
4: That's so great.
0: I was was watching it and I was like, (laughs) I can't. This is awful. That is the creepiest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But it's actually really creepy and really effective. Um, and it's like one of those meta found footage movies that is like kind of funny and like it seems a little bit like cliche, but it's actually done really really well. And some of the effects in it are amazing. So it's on Amazon Prime. Watch that.
3: That sounds fucking awesome.
0: It was fucking awesome. It was really good. Um. and it's like kind of like i like cryptids and urban legends too so it was like very much like all up in my wheelhouse of things i like to watch
3: same what's your favorite like <laughs> cryptid
0: mothman <sighs> mothman or the fresno nightcrawler
3: Ooh. i was it? always like old school like Loch Ness monster i, I love Monster. obviously Ness i would monster read thing. anything about anything and i believe it all that's the answer end yes. of story, end of story. <laughs> but <laughs>
0: exactly thank I, you i
3: did visit Loch Ness once because apparently you can go really cheap if you go like the last day before they close down for, for the winter. And, um, oh, wow. and, it, and every day, like, cause it, cause it gets dark at like 1 p.m. or something. I mean, that's an exaggeration, oh. but it felt like it. I was in college. And so, um, and, and every day I would like ride this bus, like the length of lock, the lock just to get to like town. And so finally I just like asked the bus driver, Hey, like, is the Loch Ness, like, have you ever seen it? Cause he's been working there like 37 years, he said. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, man, that, that's not real. <laughs> He's like, I would have seen it by now. I tried that. And it's like, oh, wow, I'm a Taurus. Aren't you? Okay.
0: (laughs) Squash those streams real (laughs) quick.
3: My my heart broke.
0: Have you ever seen a Fresno Nightcrawler, though?
3: Uh, Seen one?
0: No, like heard of what oh sorry uh I've no no I was, I was like wow <laughs> i mean
3: if we're gonna go there no i actually this is that's something that's not on my radar what is uh it, it's, so,
0: it's so dumb but they're amazing it looks like a sentient pair of white pants like walking i
3: just almost spit my water.
0: I know it is <laughs> the funniest thing i hold on let me send you
3: wait is it actually in fresno
0: Yes, like they see that there have been sp- <laughs> a couple times there, and I don't know what they actually are, but like it's the <laughs> funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life because it's just like it looks like a pair of pants walking down the road.
3: <laughs> that's incredible.
0: Like it's incredible. Wow. What? <laughs> and the title is Walking Pants Spring Fresno Freaky Frame. <laughs>
3: I am, it's just, it is not loading because the suspense is going to kill me. That's why. <laughs> wait these children's illustrations
0: of the pants scroll all the way down to the big blue picture of the really blurry pair of pants <laughs> what the fuck? is that not the funniest shit you've ever seen this is the it best is so stupid and i'm obsessed with it wow. <laughs> like, people take it really seriously but i think it's just like the dumbest thing i've ever seen in my entire life and i love it with all of my heart <laughs> this is
3: incredible
0: <laughs> it is incredible
3: <laughs> I, well it's also wild that it is like exactly how you described it
0: like, <laughs> so, like
3: this... for anybody not able to see it my god
0: it's literally just a pair of pants and a picture of it too well
3: it's cute because like i like the ones where it like has a cute little face it's like a pair of pants yeah. and a couple of eyes <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like not even that scary you're kind of just like what i mean i want to give it a, a hug friend. but it
3: has no hands yeah right. it's adorable
0: it's very cute anyway Sam, what have you been watching? So,
3: since uh, since the um, so for movie nights that I've been doing, I've been I've been doing a kind of a deep like I've been really into two thousands horror lately because it's like uh, the culture of homophobia at that time. Mm. (laughs) It just like permeated every aspect of horror. But um, I'm also, you know, a person who was uh, coming into my own at that time. So it's like it feels really like there. It's it's weird to say that that's my generation of horror like that's the gen- that's the time it spoke to me you know but also mm-hmm. it was so unfriendly or hostile if you will <laughs> to my identity <laughs> yeah. um, so I went back and revisited a movie I hadn't seen in years May Have you guys oh seen that?
0: no Black I East haven't but I really movie. want to see it
3: I when it first came out I just don't think I was as far along in my identity that I was able to understand it and okay. lately I've been um, I was just working on this the doc and 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 by erasure is something that is that I feel really strongly about and then i went and yeah. watched may and i was like wow this is this is about bisexuality and and into the point where it at first feels like in in the 2000s when we presented any time that there was going to be like a, any sort of queerness to a character it was either got it had to be like titillating for the male viewer or mm-hmm. it had to be like a joke or you know it's just played for laughs and you see anna Ferris as her female love interest and it's like oh shit yeah this is going to be a joke and then it's treated, it's handled so well. I was just, uh, it it, it really impressed me. I, I can't believe we don't talk about May more. Um, there's a lot to unpack with it. And it's not like I'm, you know, it, it's not to say that it's a perfect representation of queer identity, but my God, for 2002, I mean, I don't even think we were ready yet. I, 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 and in some ways, I don't think we even address bisexuality in films in this way or queer identity in, in yep. this way. Yeah. I forgot that Anna Ferris was in that me too i have not seen that movie in
1: forever i should go revisit it yeah i, I have you seen like mcgee's new movie oh i
3: oh, can't fuck. think of what it's I, named
0: kindred not kindred spirits
3: yeah kindred spirits is that what it is
0: yeah oh hell yeah Look at my I, have you seen I
3: haven't it. seen it
0: i saw it at Cinema
1: it is like a lifetime movie it- <laughs> okay so sold but it's,
3: <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's so good. It's like a a cheesy Lifetime movie, but like amazing.
3: Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you had me at Lifetime. I mean, I just... Thora Birch is in it. What?
0: Thora Birch is in it. And I was very happy about that.
1: (laughs) And I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Please Like Me, the uh, Australian comedy show. I haven't. It's so good. You got to see it. It's very queer. But one of the actresses that was in that she's in it too and it's like it's sort of like single white female but like my
3: god you are giving me all my buzzwords right now <laughs> i just yeah
0: <laughs> you should watch it it's pretty good
3: wow um i'm so fucking in that's great <laughs> sorry
1: but what um what else have you
0: been seeing
3: well so i've been on this like i, I just recently rewatched watched hostile um oh and- boy
0: how is that
3: you know it's worse than I remembered. And, <laughs> and God, I should probably shouldn't even say that. I just know, but I'm going to, here's the thing. It, we, at the time when I saw it, I, when you're in, when the, when the, when the predominant culture is homophobic, um, it's really easy to laugh with a joke that is punching down at you. Yeah,
0: and exactly. we are currently
3: having conversations in the horror community as to, what those limits are, because now that we are all connected with with media, you know social media, we are able to speak up and join together and say, "Hey, this isn't okay," and I think in some ways that can feel like we're piling on, but in other ways, we're actually just finally having the power to show our numbers instead of being some one off person in Orange County watching hostel in a theater. It doesn't matter when everybody laughs at the homophobic joke but but now yeah. that we have a voice because we're together shit's starting to change yeah but anyways i mean the the short of it is wow my god I, that movie is beyond homophobic and then it tricks <laughs> you into thinking it's not and then it turns out it like does it double and it's like i don't know if you remember it but it's like
0: i don't remember any of that but i also a long time ago and all i could think about was the gore and i was also like a very privileged young white girl who like probably didn't read into any of that so that's probably a big part of it too
3: the thing about Hostel is all of it is it, it like, as you're going through it there, the characters are kind of just like throwing out fag this and fag that. And it's kind of like a general oh fun homophobia, but there's one, like, and by fun, I mean by a 2005 perspective, but there's <laughs> one character who he um, he's like, he is, they keep giving him a hard time. He has a fanny pack. So obviously he's the queer one. Mm, and, yeah. uh, and, and this guy on the train puts his hand on his leg and he, and he gets really homophobic. He's like, ah, man, don't, you know, don't touch me. And then later he sees the guy and apologizes and buys him a drink and that, and then like puts his hand on that guy's knee. And he's like, I'm sorry. And the man looks at his hand on his knee and they have a moment because it's like this acknowledgement, like we are the same. And then the man says, oh. you know, when I was your age, I would have done the same thing, but I made a choice to be with a a woman and have a family. And that was the right choice for me. But you need to make the right choice for you. And this other woman comes along and takes him back out on the dance floor. So that's in this movie that is like insanely homophobic. And then they have this moment where it's like, I see you and you see me. Well, later, that guy is his fucking murderer. That's
0: right. Okay.
3: It's just like, oh, wow, you tricked me into thinking this was going to be like a safe identity moment. And it's like, Nope, all queer people are fucking monsters. And this is the future you have to look forward to. And to the point where, and here's the cherry on it. He literally holds the guy's face up. The 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 boy, he holds his face up and slits his throat in front of a mirror because they're like to, to make him watch the per like the monster that he's avoiding, like almost like, and it's just like, Ooh, don't <sighs>
0: like that at all. Yeah.
3: So anyways, sorry to really tangent on it, but it's just, um, yeah, it's, uh, so I recently watched May and Hostel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, different sides of the coin. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would definitely say so. I, I haven't seen Hostel since, um, probably the theater. So I just remember I, I, but you describing it just kind of brought back vivid memories like me being a closeted, Uh, gay guy watching that movie and it was it was an experience Um, yeah yeah
3: Yeah.
0: so we've been talking about what we've been watching recently but Sam what are we talking about today what movie have you brought with you
3: I have brought Child's Play
4: everyone has a birthday they'll always remember presents now mommy a good guy i knew it (laughs) hi i'm chucky he's something isn't he this is andy's time for bed andy good night baby good night aunt maggie good night chucky Everyone knows most accidents happen at home. How did that happen? This is no accident.
2: Andy? i Detective Mike Norris. Homicide. Andy? Miss
1: Peterson's dead, Miss Barclay. She fell from the kitchen window.
2: Someone's
4: moved in with the Barclay family. And so has Terror!
0: Chucky. Nobody believes you about Chucky. Yeah. He came alive in my hand. I, I.
4: Oh, for God's sake. Why won't you believe
2: me? Because I'm sane, Mrs. Barkley. Sane and rational.
4: No one believes the truth. <gasps> or lives to tell it. There's nothing nice about murder. There's nothing innocent about child's play.
0: Child's Play. So, for those of you who are unfamiliar, or just need a little bit of a refresher, Child's Play um, is about a hardworking single mother, Karen, and she gives her son Andy as much sought-after doll for his birthday, only to discover that the doll is possessed by the soul of a serial killer who wants to be Andy's friend till the end. Heidi, ho! <laughs> oh, I hate it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so. so- <laughs> Sam, how old were you when you saw this movie? Friends, I... Well, the answer... The short... I think I saw the third one first. Okay. And the third one's not very... It's not scary like the first one is. No. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know how old I was when I, I, when I saw, when I tried to watch it, I do know the first time I successfully watched it was in fifth grade. So I had made it to a sleep, like through a sleepover, you know what I mean? Like that, I was there the first time I heard, like had tried to, I think I I was very young. I mean, I'm talking like uh, five or six and I saw Mm. part of it and it terrified me. I think I just even saw the commercial and here, and, and the reason why is because I had a my buddy doll. I was gonna ask, did you have a my buddy doll? <laughs> I did. And oh no. I, and my buddy is Chucky. My ch- my buddy is a good guy doll. And also it was like during in the 80s, like everything that this movie is satirizing was like like I was fucking Andy. Like I was that kid. Yep. And and so it was like it was a horror movie made about me. And so like I I had mentioned to you before that I had somebody talk me through every part of the movie, and it was because it terrified me, but I was fascinated by it. I also love storytelling, so I could have I would have the same like older neighbor friend tell me Chucky all the time. And he'd take me through the beats like, oh, tell me Chucky again. Because I wasn't allowed to watch it. You know, but it it haunted my dreams. And I used to think, um, so wait, Terry, did you have a my buddy? Um, I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever think that your my buddy moved or like did something that it didn't. You know, I never thought that about my buddy, but I did think that about Teddy Ruxpin. Me too! Teddy fucking Ruxpin! (laughs) What a weirdo! Because sometimes he did, though. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, right, because his mouth okay hold on Do, are we all familiar with teddy ruxpin or is this like let me like breaking down 80s <laughs> toys really quick my buddy did not have a mouth that moved no. not like like you know obviously like we see chucky and chuck chucky is actually like a my buddy combined with teddy ruxpin yes so and teddy ruxpin was that you would put a cassette tape into his back and he would read you stories by moving his mouth
4: there are
2: lots of teddy bears but only one teddy ruxpin
4: hi my name is teddy ruxpin can you and I be friends? Sure, Teddy. Your friend is what I'd like to He's be. He's a line.
3: And, um, and he had a whole like play world and you could buy these other things. And it was like much like the commercialism of this. And so I had those two things were like, that was my childhood. So yeah, I, child's play made us all afraid of our toys. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah. And when his batteries ran low, like Teddy Ruxpin would talk to you in a crazy, scary voice.
0: That happened to me with some of my my toys when I was a kid, and it was the fucking worst.
3: What were yours?
0: To call me Elmo. <sighs>
3: what a terrifying low scream that would be
0: <laughs> oh i can't even replicate it because it was awful and then we had a kermit the frog doll that would go i oh kermit the frog here but like it would be like hi <laughs> oh, and i was God. like hell on earth hell hell on earth <laughs> possession yeah. and it would go off in the middle of the night and i was like nope this house is not clean <laughs>
1: <laughs> get zelda um <laughs> gets out of house is not clean. So you saw this, you you saw it in the fifth grade finally. Is that and was it at yeah. a at a slumber party type thing?
3: Yeah, because that was like when I was allowed to rent whatever the fuck oh, I wanted. Because okay. it was Hell like, yeah. okay, all rules are off. It's a slumber party. I can get rated right R movies. And um and I did at that point I was able to like uh to to conquer my fear. Mm. But but even but but you what you have to understand about Chucky scarring me, while most people saw the movie and then couldn't sleep. I could not see it. So that's – like, Chucky was a big part of my childhood. Oh, that's and I, so interesting. And I never – but I, I was not able to, like – it was not – it was always told secondhand because I couldn't see it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, uh, that is so fucking cool, though. Like, that is so fascinating.
3: So I was obsessed with Chucky, but it was always that thing that was, yeah. like – you know the boogeyman.
0: I used to do that with movies sometimes too. Like I would get obsessed with them and like look at like research them and have people tell me about them. But then I would be too scared to see them. And now I'm the yes. person that goes see the scary shit now. But
3: <laughs> if I was to pinpoint the moment that really like fucked me up, it was I was in a video store and I turned over the back of what I believe was Child's Play. Yeah, it was Child's Play one. And and he has a really fucked up face that he's making yeah. when he's attacking mm. Andy. And that face. On the back of that VHS box haunted my fucking dreams. I'm telling you, it was like I couldn't even look at the box. But then sometimes I would, like, make myself go back to the video store and, like, look at the box. Like, I was drawn to it but, like, terrified by it.
0: Okay, I have a small tangent really quick. Please. We don't appreciate video box art as much as we used to. And I'm very sad about it because, like, we have so many people have said how much video box art, like, intrigued them and scared them like obviously people care about it yes i just wish we got better like i don't know i just miss going to the video store and seeing all the cool covers and like looking at all of the art on the covers like i miss that physical thing which is i guess why i still buy so much physical media because i just like being able to have it but damn i just really do miss being able to walk around and like see the front-facing crazy Mm -hmm. horror movie covers they're so beautiful and like they did such a good job even if the movie wasn't good they made it look good well, the fact that I said
3: what I just explained with his face looking all fucked up and you said yes in the way like <laughs> you immediately knew what I'm talking about. It's because yeah. that is how we chose, like, right? Like, it's like we chose our media based on what was in that box. And once yep. you took it home, you were committed, girl. Like, yes. you watch yes. it. Because you and it's not like our it. Netflix age where we can give up on something 20 minutes in or text our friend while it's happening. It's like you brought it home and it was an event. It was.
0: It was. It was always an event.
3: And I think that we've lost a little bit of that, that chance that we give to films. Yeah. And and the enjoyment of something. I think it's really challenging in 2020 to enjoy something that isn't perfect because mm-hmm. we have so many other options. But I love trash for oh, exactly that trash. reason. <laughs> you know, because it's like I can enjoy something that's not perfect. Sorry, Terry, you were going to say. Uh, no, I'm just – I was going to agree with you because I, I, I – we have talked about this before
1: on the show, but that's one of the things that – one of the only few things – I don't usually have nostalgia for things, but I do have nostalgia for for that, for, for what you're talking about. Because I remember in high school, loading up with movies, and it's, it's why I saw, like, Jack Frost, this really terrible, you know, 90s horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's like you rent it, you get – you bring it home, you are watching that sucker. You don't have – 50 million other things that you can just go i'm gonna watch this 10 minutes oh it doesn't grab me i'm gonna go watch something else you sat there you watched it it became your
3: weekend event yes because what how else would you choose a movie where a snowman rapes somebody oh, I know with a carrot nose. I mean, that wouldn't happen. You know, but anyways, <laughs> Jack Frost, man. I know.
1: And you know, watching... That's its own episode. It's, it's, it's so weird that you bring that up because I just remember, th- I have this vivid memory of saying, where is his nose when he's in the shower and then realizing what was happening and like, oh, oh good my
3: God, Lord what am I watching? <laughs> what am I watching? Yeah. What? Yeah. It, you know, and the thing is, I, I would sometimes even get the, the VHS boxes confused. Like, here's the thing that we don't have anymore. When it's better on the box than it is in the movie, yeah. Yes. So a lot of times it's like the box was so delicious and perfectly laid out in the poster art, like got you in, and then you take it home and you put it in, and you're like, "What the fuck am I watching? That's not this movie." Deep Star Six, you know. And uh, what's Deep that? Star Six. I haven't seen that. It, the I. It was a
1: movie that haunted me as a kid. Like the the cover art because it was this man. It was like a man in like one of those old timey diving suits, and he was torn in half, and he's just like floating there. Wow. And the movie's terrible, but that box art, like, I was like, what is this movie? And I was never allowed to watch it, but it was, it was one of those things where it's, you see that and you build up such a, like an expectation of what that movie is going to be. I did
0: that to Dreamcatcher.
1: Oh my
3: God. (laughs) Dreamcatcher, the poop
0: movie. movie. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw the trip. I know this is amazing. I like, this literally. This conversation brought that memory like rushing back to the front of my brain. I'm like, I feel like I like have been sent back in time to this very weird period in my life where like I watched the Dreamcatcher trailer over and over again, but wouldn't see the movie. And then I read the book, and I was like, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I've never actually seen the movie because I read the book and was like, I don't need, I don't need to see it. I'm good. Like,
3: so that's where you're wrong. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should I see
0: it though? The so, cast is stacked. It's weirdly it's, stacked. I'm not going to
3: say it's a good movie because then I'd be lying to you. But what I will tell you <laughs> is that it is insane. It is insane. So it's okay. like,
0: it's as all if, right. if he,
3: so because it's like I read the book too, and uh, whoa. So it's like yeah. it's like they had the <laughs> yeah. task of like taking all these different pieces that don't belong in a film and including enough of them to make it still work as a movie. And watching them do that delicate dance on screen is so fun especially when they take very seriously um the fart aliens
0: <laughs> the fart aliens and i couldn't get past it i like I, I was reading it and i was like this just just feels like a joke now like he's just farting and pooping
3: so imagine like a stacked cast of actors taking it taking super farts seriously so seriously i so cannot seriously. wait i'm gonna have
0: to watch it this weekend I highly think, recommend now. <laughs> the fact just a recommendation of very talented of actors watching <laughs> watching uh being in a very serious movie about farts sounds very exciting <laughs>
3: speaking of farts and speaking of movies that like that don't live up to what's on the box chucky is not one of them chucky i think what's interesting for me as an adult watching it is i think it's actually only gotten better with age um as i wasn't when i was a kid i felt like i related to andy but now as an adult man when karen's making that backdoor deal for that like for the doll because she's like just a single mom who can't afford the thing but she wants to like take care of her son who she loves so much it's like ugh my I, I feel for her so much in this yes. film. Yes.
0: So this is actually my first time seeing Child's Play. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching it and I actually got really sad at the beginning. Like I was very very upset cuz I just think I think we felt so bad for her and her son and like like one like I had this, like, went on this little tirade to my partner. I was like, why is it that always oh, the poor people have to be the ones affected by this shit? It's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, you're going to take away his toy and his doll and take away, like, her hard work. And I got really upset about that, which is very silly. But I was upset about that. And then all of a sudden, it, it flips a switch. And I'm like, this is a totally different movie. Like, the doll starts screaming, fuck. <laughs> and it's very strange, the tonal change between the first and second. It half is of a movie. complete
3: <laughs> switch flip.
0: It's so Flip weird. switch?
3: No. it's insane because it's like I but I think what's so effective about it is that we care so much about her and him. Yeah, that's what makes it work.
1: You know what? Seeing this as an adult was I I had the same experience. Like I one of the the notes that I I took while I was rewatching this was was her line of like,
3: well, what do you
4: think? I want a good guy to go with it. I know you do, Andy, but I didn't know about it in time this month to save up for it.
1: I didn't know about it in time to save up for it. Like (sighs) the economy of storytelling in the beginning of this movie, like you, it, it just, I forgot how much this movie just books. Like the first six minutes you have like the end of another movie. It almost feels like, you know, the kind of climactic moment of like the police finally catching this slasher or this police procedural. And then, that, that's like the first six minutes. And then the next six minutes, the af- the dog is or the dog. The doll is moving around the the apartment about stalking Maggie. And then after that, it's she's going out the window. It's just books. But the economy of storytelling with this where all you need to know, she obviously is a single mom. You find out later that she's that she's widowed and she is working really hard to try to make ends meet. And that line about I didn't know about it in time to save up for it just
3: like was heart wrenching this it's time. So real. You know, and, and yeah. I think that I, so I, two years ago, I went to um, Midsummer Scream and director Tom Holland did a, like a live, what do you call it? When when you talk over the movie, basically, like a live commentary. Like commentary. Shot, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the best experiences I've ever had because I went in expecting all of this, like, depth about, like, family and in the 80s and commercialism. And he would just, like, watch it and go, this is the part where the babysitter dies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh Chucky's about to walk through the flower. Like it was like, (laughs) I was was floored. My best friend and I were like watching it. just like cracking up. It's, 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 I wish, I wish I could watch him do this movie again because to take this, like really to me, this like, it's all of the emotion and it's so real and it's so scary and just, um I wonder if if he saw what we saw when he read that script. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think that speaks to Don Mancini and his uh, yes. and his talent. I mean, he's openly queer and Don this is 1988 and Don had just I mean, he had moved to, to New York in the mid-80s and then moved to LA after that to pursue film and like New York and LA in the 80s, queer people were dying at 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 rates that are unfathomable for us to to even talk about you know when you think about all of the friends you would lose and when i imagine what that would do to somebody who's about to write a movie about fighting for the family that you do have i can't help but think about the world that this movie emerged in and and how that may have kind of leaked its way in
1: wow yeah i yeah <laughs> i i had you know it's it's so it's so weird looking back on it now because I, I, I never really think about that. I mean, I, I, was, I was a little kid in the 80s, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's amazing to me to when you start to look back at a film and you can kind of see how history or personal history starts to like seep into the things that they work on.
3: Well, I think about it, you know, I imagine Don probably wasn't really thinking about it either. You right. know, I think it's just but when you look at his body of work, the theme of family comes up in every film. Yeah. I mean it's it really true. is. And especially when you get to to bride and seed. Oh. I yeah. mean, and it's and I think that as a queer person, the notion of family is something that um there's a there's a lot to unpack there. And and especially mm-hmm. for me, you know, I I mean my friends, my my closest friends are my family. We we have as queer people, we have chosen family. Yeah. And uh mm-hmm. and so family is and what family is and defining that and, and choosing that is a big part of our lives. So I think it's yeah. really cool to see that queer theme starting, like, right here in the first film. Even if the film isn't overtly queer in the way that, like, Brighter Seed is, right, the seeds are there.
1: Now, I will say, I think Maggie is is queer as fuck. Hey,
2: hold on, you! How do we know the damn thing isn't stolen, huh? Ah, uh, steal this! Yeah, uh, steal this yourself, Maggie. I think I dated him. Come
0: on, we gotta get
1: back to work. I, when I was watching it this time, I was like, I wanna I'm be obsessed
3: that bitch. I'm yes. so sad that she,
0: I want her to kiss my face. <laughs> she
3: was so, she was so cool. Also, she's, she went right up to that fucking plant looking for Chucky. She's like, yeah, like, what a bad bitch. Just going right for it, isn't waiting. And of course, like, her death is very unfortunate. Yeah. Because, because the the film never actually, like, fills that hole, that loss of Maggie. I know. But, like, she she died being the person that she is. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She wasn't going to sit there and take it. She was like, I'm going right for it. I'm going to find it. What the fuck is going on here?
0: <laughs> also, I have to say that I did not realize that the guy who plays Chucky, Brad Dourif, is in fucking Lord of the Rings and Dune? Yeah. I did not know that. Like, I did... I was, like... So, I don't know why... Child's Play was, like, always just a movie I heard about as a kid and, like, steered clear from because I had no fucking desire. Like, it was one of those movies you heard about and knew about but never wanted to see, sort of like you, Sam. And so I knew nothing about this. And then I just discovered that the guy who plays Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings and then um one of the Harkonnens, like, human computers in Dune is the voice of Chucky? What the
3: fuck? (laughs) So, I actually thought that... uh, I got Brad Dourif and uh, Steven dwarf confused and so oh. uh there was like a, a period of my life that is like embarrassingly long that i thought that um that the voice of chucky starred in britney spears every time video oh
0: my god and oh, uh yes. and, look, i want to live oh, in that my world god. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah honestly Stephen dwarf is chucky yeah right <laughs> I, Y'all I remember question. when um
3: in, Ch- in bright of Ch- or no seat of chucky when he like kills britney spears Again, (laughs) yes.
0: I have not seen any of the other. Oh, okay. You
3: haven't seen any of them. Well, it's
0: no. I don't see. Okay, this is the this is the fucked up thing about this podcast. (laughs) I am like, I'm yeah, I'm pretty, I'm younger than Terry. Okay,
3: brag about it, but um, right?
1: No, No, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) 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 We're all young here.
0: (laughs) But it's just like I one was a shitty little teenager and didn't really care about. Like the history of horror, I just wanted to watch all the weird stuff that was coming out like in the two thousands. And so I'm like woefully behind like on things. I have blind spots because I didn't really like grow up with them, but I knew I should watch them. But I was a shit. So I'm playing catch up. Especially this podcast has made me play a lot of catch up, which I'm very happy. No, it's also one of those
3: things where with a character as iconic as Chucky, we just imagine we have seen it. So sometimes it's not your first pick because it's like he is in everybody's mouth. Like we know exactly and Leatherface and you know uh, Freddie and it's like yeah. he's up there. So it's yeah. just like I can yeah, see exactly. also how it would be easy to miss it.
0: Like, exactly. Because you feel like you already know about it because everyone right. talks about it. And it's like such a, a ubiquitous image. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't need to see it because I didn't know what happens. But I'm so glad I did watch it because I did not realize it was going to be so upsetting <laughs> to well, me. Something
3: special about this franchise in general is that it is the queerest franchise that there is. I mean, it is it gets progressively more mm. queer um throughout oh, yeah. the series until it until it becomes explicit. And, and it, and that is one of the most delightful parts about it is that Don was able to express that. And also that straight audiences continued to consume it. I mean, until they didn't. And so it's like, uh, it's, it's one of those things where I felt where as an adult, it's gotten even better for me because now I see all that shit. And when I was a kid, I didn't see it as much.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was, I was the same way. Cause like, I remember I, I saw a Bride of, of Chucky in the, uh, in the theater and I didn't really like it. Um, as that kind of petulant, uh, when did that come out? It was, was it was early 2000? It was 2000, just I
3: think on the yeah. dot, right? Yeah. So I was like 19. Oh no, it was 1998. Um, oh, it was 1998. Yeah. Sorry. I Jesus. So I confused. was 17
1: at the time when it came out and I was a petulant kid and I was like, what is this shit? Cause it's not, it wasn't scary, right? It was, it it started to move more into like the kind of campy comedy aspect of it. And looking back on it now, I, I, I love those, those movies that he just goes for with
3: Bride and, and Seed. But at the time, uh, yeah, I was,
1: I was a different kid.
3: You know, he infuses. A queer sensibility into everything he does. And I think that's what is makes Bride so queer. But mm-hmm. um I know this is not a Bride of Chucky podcast today. So I will bring <laughs> it back in. But um definitely watch as the those queer characters emerge over time and how they how they are allowed to appear. And I think that uh that each one reflects the time that it uh is released, you know, a little bit. Or at yeah. least and, and or sometimes the reaction to it reflects the time. So yeah. The, 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 one of the things that that jumped out at me this
1: time re uh, rewatching Child's Play though was I forgot how much of the movie people think that Andy is the killer. Yeah,
0: that was what really got to me. I think like I I'm not a kids person, but for some reason this movie made me very sad for Andy, and I was like, this is not a way to treat a child.
1: <laughs> it's... Well, he's so good at him too, Alex Vincent. He I know. is one of the the best child actors I've seen in a horror movie of that of that time period. Just. I, you, you want to like hug him and love him and tell him that everything's going to be okay.
3: Yes. Yes. He just deserves it. Like, help this kid, you know? And it, it's, it's hard. Did you guys see the remake, perchance? Yes. No, I didn't. Um, I did. I, what were your
1: thoughts? It was fine. Um, That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, I liked, there were things I liked about it. Um, I, I, I just have such an affinity to Don's work that it kind of. I went into it with a chip on my shoulder. I but I, I loved I loved Aubrey Plaza in it. I thought she was great. Oh, she's awesome,
3: and I love Teddy Ruxpin making an appearance. But I think it's a really good example of why we should give queer people queer material. Yes. So, and, and the reason being is that there are these themes in Don's films, right? Like even when he doesn't direct it, even when he's just the writer and we're watching child's play, there are these themes that are so deeply woven in and such a part of the characters that we see like Maggie or the relationship between Andy and other people, what it's like to carry a secret and all yes. these things that are so relatable that when you turn around and 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 uh, something like child's play leaves queer hands now i'm not saying straight people are not capable of understanding those things but what i'm saying is there is a uh, something that's lost in the language there is a uh, it ends up feeling a little bit like a xerox because the points were kind of missed mm-hmm. what made it so special is that it it was able to tap into those universal themes that are unfortunately very common for queer people Um, And once it made that translation, I just didn't I I didn't think it had the heart that this movie did. Yes. And I I
1: especially believe that rewatching this this time, because the this that what really grabbed me um, as an adult watching this was was the heart. And I in particular, the one scene where after Chucky has killed Eddie Caputo and Andy's in the police station with his mom.
4: Nobody believes you about Chucky unless you start telling the truth right now
0: they're going to take you away from me
1: so she's basically telling him that he needs to lie about himself and lie about the truth Mm. so that he is not taken away by the police and that was just so it really broke my heart watching it this time because he's like and he the way he turns on Chucky, and he's like
4: you hear that chucky they're taking me away unless you say something please say something Come on, Chucky, say something. Tell me why you lied to me about everything. Tell me. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Heidi ho Ha ha ha. Uh. Mommy, he's doing it on purpose. He told me never to tell about him or he'd kill me.
1: Say something. You lied to me. Why'd you lie to me about everything? Tell me. And Mm -hmm. it's just, that just really, like, hit
3: me this time. Yeah. Wow, I'm so glad I brought this drama <laughs> to discuss today. This, we, are, we are having the most uh, chilling conversation about Child's Play because it's so real, though. <laughs> you
1: know? It really is. It
3: really I is. do want to say that it is, um, to this day, the scares hold up in a way that I think a lot of movies kind of don't age well. For me, I was still jumping at him Every time I see this, I think the scares are so expertly crafted because of the, the buildup.
1: Yes. And I love the re- the final reveal, oh, that whole sequence of God. when she finally realizes the battery, you know, the batteries the fall batteries. out and yes. she's holding him and his head sp- turns around.
4: Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play?
1: That moment. Like I still, I jumped at that this time. Yeah. It's still, I know it's coming and it still gets me. And then the, and then the moment that Mary Beth was talking about where like, he starts like. Cussing and he just goes for it.
3: I said, "Talk to me, damn it, or else I'm
2: gonna throw you in the fire." You stupid bitch! You filthy slut!
4: Did <laughs> <laughs> you fuck with me?
1: He calls her, you know, a dirty slut and a bitch, and like he's throwing f bombs. Like he just, it's, it's like it is like a, a switch is turned. Yeah.
0: And I felt bad for laughing because like the whole time I was like, this is like swinging so heavy on my heart with this single mom and her kid, and then all of a sudden, Tony <laughs> goes, "Ugly doll." Fuck you. Fuck you. And I was like, what is going on? It completely took me out of that.
3: And what's interesting, because you see like Chucky embody patriarchy, you know, or <laughs> and it's like he is just all of the worst things about toxic masculinity. And that gets worse over the series. But in child, even in child's play, it's like very evident that that's he represents he is just this menacing force on on Karen, her son, and uh, and being a child of the 80s. Reagan era living. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, I think it definitely made an impression then. And I think it's, it's still the points that it's making are, they hold up. But can I tell you my favorite thing, which I know this is like, not, this isn't like scary or serious. This is like, I fucking love black Friday. So as like a trash person, Obviously, there's like nothing better than waiting in line for four hours for something. And so watching the like something at a good deal, it's like, okay, I'm going to get this thing for five dollars. And so like Karen and I, we see each other like I watch this movie and I'm like, Karen, I get you like I understand your life. You're going to make this work. And also you got a good deal with something like chucky what people don't i think a lot of people don't know or especially younger people is that cabbage patch kids and uh my buddy dolls they were toys that people fought each other in aisles for cabbage patch dolls the latest awful example of pre-christmas selling hype to hit
4: america and it verges on the hysterical especially when supplies run out what do we tell our little girl christmas morning what are we supposed to say you've been good but santa ran short. Those who can't get their own have been known to snatch from others.
2: Where is she? Do you I see say that what Christmas is about?
3: That's a
2: full-grown woman taking a doll out of a child's <laughs> hair? Look
4: doll! I got my doll!
3: So it was the kind of, like, there was the kind of, like, buzz. You couldn't get it online. You had to, like, camp out and harass stores and, like be there when shipments showed up and people were fucking insane for this stuff. And so this movie is so magical because it captures an era that like something that doesn't really exist anymore. And I truly actually think we just witnessed our last real black Friday because it was already dying, but now we won't be able to do things in person as much. And so at least for a little bit that I think things are going to transition completely, but this movie, what a relic. Yeah. And I, I started writing down even in the opening scene where, you know, it
1: takes place at like a, a toy store and I was writing down all of the, the games that I remember from that era, like fireball Island, like all of these like eighties toys and eighties memorabilia. Like it was just commercialization and all over the place. And then the, the stacks and stacks and stacks of these, uh, the, the Chucky dolls, it, it, definitely brought me back to even when even when he's making lunch for, or breakfast for his mom and it's like that sugary cereal i remember so many different kinds of like uh commercialized cereal in the 80s with like star wars and mario and like all of that where they would have their own and it was all the same cereal they just would put on a different box
3: and <laughs> <It> totally was <laughs> but the toy changed like... so
1: that's important right, right exactly it, it brought all that back but you know one of the things that that I that kind of bothered me this time a lot more is that I never really consider it is Andy is sleeping with this old man like in the bed he's hugging on him it's kind of it lends this very kind of creepy like he is it's a doll but it's not that's true but also like
3: I feel like I would be more creeped out by it if that guy was like because you know chucky doesn't want to cuddle
1: right he's <laughs> right. so
3: pissed <laughs> you know what i mean like the worst yeah. thing he andy could do is like try and love him chucky doesn't I want know. anything to do with that shit <laughs> so this is actually andy torturing him <laughs> <laughs> you almost want to hear what's like going on in his mind God. That time. <laughs> yeah you know he, he hates this <laughs>
1: When I was a kid, the thing that that um, I remember in particular about this movie, because it, it never really scared me. But the image that would stick in my head was the burnt Chucky at the end. Yes. And it was because there was like this kind of pink thing on his face. that looked like a worm. And the kind of like desiccated corpse that's there with like a worm hanging down his face haunted my dreams.
3: So even though I didn't see it. One of the things that scared me the most about the audio book I got from my neighbor was the <laughs> was the fireplace scene because he described yeah. the way like it mm. looked when he was trying to scream his way out. That when I was a kid, and that his eyes that you could see his eyes, and of course, then of course, I saw that moment, and I was like, "No, this is this is terrible." So I would like walk around like whenever I was in fire like around fireplaces, I would get nervous. I would look inside to see if there was something in the okay. ashes. <laughs> yeah, so like Chucky wow. fuck with me. <laughs> yeah, it
1: did. Wow. Do you do you remember the Simpsons episode with the creepy clown? No. The creepy clown toy, toy. There's like a I think it was like one of the the Halloween episodes and Homer brings home a uh, a crusty doll, uh the clown and oh it yes. tries to like tries to this. kill him and the the solution at the end is <laughs>
4: Yep, is your problem. Someone set this thing to evil.
0: I love you, Homer. Come
1: here you. Oh, well this is the problem. You had the switch flipped to evil. <laughs> <laughs> so they had That's to, like right. switch it to good and I every time I watch this movie in the moment where she like flips the bat the, the him over and she you know realizes the batteries aren't in. I was like, just flip the switch. Just flip the switch. <laughs>
0: Uh, amazing so do we want to give this our final words? yes cool so Terry how many uh, friends to the end out of five do you give Chucky mm-hmm. and what are your final thoughts? you
1: know <clears throat> not Chucky I...
0: child's play Jesus
1: <laughs> Um, I think I think I'd give it probably four and a half friends to the end Um, okay. I think this movie has aged incredibly well I think even the puppetry looks really has, has aged really well and that's one of the things where um, I love practical effects, and mm-hmm. the mo- some of the moments, like when he pops up over the 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 sofa, and he has that look on his face for the first time when he's going after uh, Karen, like those scenes have aged so well, and they're still so incredibly, incredibly filmed, and just the the practical effects are just so good. So, I yeah, I got to give this four and a half friends to the end, Heidi Ho, ha ha um, ha. <laughs> what about oh. you, Mary Beth?
0: Um, I think I'm going to give it a three and a half. Um, okay. I did not have the same kind of, like, nostalgia for it, but I was I – was, just because of what I knew about it from, like, osmosis, like, the cultural osmosis, I thought it would be much funnier and a lot less emotionally intense. And so that was really surprising and really, like, really great for me to see. I, I like it, especially, like, when horror looks at family, obviously, but also, like, kind of in t- to start interrogating class dynamics, which mm. – I think is really fascinating. And especially because they live like, there's a lot about Chicago in this movie too, like the south side of Chicago, etc. I can go on a whole tangent about that. But anyway, I really enjoyed it. And I was pleasantly surprised at how much I liked it. So it's three and a half out of five for me. And Sam, what about you? What is your final friends out of to the end out of five for Chucky? And what are your final thoughts?
3: Child's for play. me, it's four friends at the end because I, I wish that, the voodoo instructor john oh (laughs) it's just like anytime i see that trope you know of it just feels like his whole the whole mystical accessory to this i'm like "Eh, Yeah. yeah i just wish i could get past it that part doesn't age as well as the no. rest of the film. But that said, the practical effects, the emotional core of the film, all of those things and the and the performances. I mean, all of that really holds up. And I truly think we wouldn't have so much of horror if it weren't for um the Child's Play series. And it all started with this one. And uh and I'm really excited for you to see the see the queer ones. I think you're gonna love it. Cool.
1: Awesome. <laughs> when it happens. So which yeah. which uh Child's Play movie is your favorite though, Sam?
3: My favorite See the Chucky. Okay. I think I saw it I can't remember, but I think I saw it th- three or four times in theaters. Oh, wow. And it was like the first movie I kept seeing again and again. I got to like literally tell Don that. Cause I interviewed him for the doc and his face. Like, it was just like, I, I don't know if he believed me <laughs> oh. like, because like, you know, people didn't see that when it came out. Right. Um, but my friends and I did, Oh, I was there. <laughs> I was there in theater. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. It was like, finally a movie for us. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I was still in the closet at that point too, but. It's a real treat. So that would be, that would be my recommend. But I, I do think though, if you're going to watch seed, you should probably watch bride first yeah. because you'll appreciate seed more because they okay. introduce um, Tiffany first. Okay. Love her. Um, yeah, she's great.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sam, for joining us to talk about child's play. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. It was, it yeah, was so thank good. You. This has been so lovely. Thank oh, you friends. Thank you. Where um can our listeners find you and what, do you have Don't coming find up? me. Oh. They, they can find
3: my MySpace. They <laughs> <laughs>
4: can. Um, no, they can.
3: Uh, they can find me at Sam Wyman on like everything. And I, since Andy was a previous guest, Andy and I make music together, and we yes. just made a song called "Quarantine My Heart," and you can hear that on Bandcamp. And I think by the time this comes out, it'll be on streaming platforms cause it, in June. So. Perfect.
0: Awesome. Um, So you've heard from us, but listeners, we want to hear from you. What has been your experience with Child's Play? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcasts at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MBMcAndrews.
1: And I'm at Gailey Dreadful.
0: And of course, make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast.
1: And please, please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Um, it really helps us out. Yes,
0: it does. Um, thank you to Steve Ronald for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy.
1: And until next time. <laughs>